This morning's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to find it in a pew Bible, it is page 984 in those red pew Bibles. But Colossians 3, verses 18 to 19. And I'm going to read this for us, and then Pastor Albert will come up here. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of the Lord. When I uh, started Book of Colossians, this was the, uh, these were the verses that I was so looking forward to teaching on. Like this, I, I just couldn't wait. Like this was the one that, the whole reason why is, was right here. Um, actually, the, the past couple of weeks when Nate was teaching, <clears throat> um, I had him teaching and I was praying that the Lord's return would be within those two weeks <laughs> so I wouldn't have to do this. But we're a church who respects the Word of God, the entire counsel of the Word of God, so we don't skip anything. And so here we are. And we started a new policy here at Regeneration. You know, before um, pastors, I, I, I would teach through the Bible, and then when we'd have um, pastors on staff teach, they would kind of like teach whatever was on their heart. So like Pastor Steve did like a psalm series, or he had like a topical series. And Nate, over the past two weeks, had like this kickstart series for like koinonia and like getting ready for home groups and things like that well that's not happening anymore we're just teaching through the bible together and so when we get to ephesians 5 like that's going to be nate's thing um just forewarn you nate like you're up next man let's pray God, uh, thank you so much for your word, and I just pray for your presence, that you are with us through this, that there would be a great understanding of uh, your heart, that I would not misrepresent that, that uh, that would come across uh, clearly in Jesus' name, amen. I also want to preface this talk with just letting you all know, if you don't know already, I have four daughters, and so um, as I've been wrestling with this over the past several weeks and putting them in, in a place there and thinking about uh, potential knuckleheads they may meet in life and, like, and I have to deal with this stuff as a dad, you know, like, um, and a lot of, and three of my four daughters are kind of like these natural leader, leader types who, like, want to be there and kind of, like, want to take the reins and move forward. And so... A lot of this, I, I've been wrestling with a lot of this. And I also want to just say, if, if I do come across in a way that is not more than gentle and kind and peaceful, that you would uh, let me know and uh, talk to me about it so that I can change. Um, so just, just to, I want to give you an open door to like talk to me about things that you want to talk about in regards to issues like this. Um, when we're looking at this section of scripture, uh, it's actually verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. It's talking about Christian relationships. And Paul addressed the family relationships here in verses 18 through 21. Then he moves towards working relationships starting in verse 22. The context for these relationships is one where Christ rules over all relationships. 
all relationships within a Christian's life. Now, the principles are, of course, applicable to everyone, but the practice of these principles are necessary for a, a Christian's relationships. This is written to Christians. And according to our verses this morning, it, we're just going to look at the Christian marriage in particular. We'll look at the other ones in the following weeks. Now, before I dive into these very non-confrontational, easy verses to look at, I do need to set the stage a little bit. I need to set the stage a little bit, and we're going to start by going to Ephesians 5, verse 21, and uh, have this verse as kind of like um, framing our talk here. It reads this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The rest of chapter 5, Paul wrote about the marriage relationship before entering chapter 6 of Ephesians. And Paul instructs Christians about relationships between parents and children. He talks about working relationships in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And then here's where we're going to camp out a little bit longer is in verse 10 of chapter 6. And it reads this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, why are we going to camp here? Here's why. Verses 10 and 11 come right after all of Paul's teachings regarding those, what, relationships. After the marriage relationships, after the parent-child relationship, after working relationships. Then comes these verses here. So what is Paul getting at to like talk about all those relationships first and then he puts here, put on the whole armor of God. Well, our relationships aren't just simply social constructs and and the relationship battles we are are getting ourselves into aren't just emotional, they aren't just mental, they aren't just social, sometimes even physical. If there's a battle to be concerned with within relationships, it's spiritual. That the spiritual battle within marriages, families, working relationships, any relationship for that matter, is very real. And if we ignore that battle, we face, in terms of a spiritual battle, then we tend to get more easily distracted with other types of battles. So whether they be social or political or economical, financial. Not to say those are not real battles within relationships. They very much are. But often what happens is those things start to divert us or distract us from what is happening spiritually, which is actually of utmost importance within the relationship. See, we can't have our relationships flourish without addressing the spiritual aspect of them. And people can deny the spiritual all that they want But if there is going to be a real, deep, lasting, transformative relationship amongst people, if that's going to happen, it needs to happen on a spiritual level. It needs to go beyond just the skin-deep, surface level of what's going on in people's life and penetrate deeply into the soul of a person. So when we're looking at relationships like marriage, which isn't a Christian thing, by the way. Let me just put this plug in here because Christians seem to think like we have the corner market on marriages and that's not true. Because marriage existed long before Jesus incarnate appeared on earth 2,000 years ago, right? Marriage is a creation ordinance. It's not a, a Christian thing. It's a creation ordinance began from the creation of humanity. Anyway, 
Relationships, including marriage, are under spiritual attack. And, and the fact of the matter is a lot of people are ob oblivious to that. Rather than living in that truth that we're in a spiritual battle when it comes to relationships, there's an ignorance of it or there's a downplaying of it. So what will help us overcome this spiritual battle? And for us, when we read the scriptures, it's obvious that it's the word of God. And we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we get to places of confusion, this is where we have to go back. We have to go back to the scriptures. Our relationships are under attack, and, and we need to constantly go back to the scriptures for guidance. Because cultures change, societies change, laws change. We have to be anchored in Scripture. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, many, many, many generations have passed, and yet we still really deal with the same problem that Adam and Eve dealt with. We still haven't figured this one thing out despite the many, many generations of humanity that have passed through. And it goes back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That is a really simple instruction, yes? Eat anything you want, just not that one. It's really simple. Not complicated whatsoever. Very clear. Eat whatever you want, just not that one. That's it. And if you do, then there's a consequence. Really simple, very clear. Keep that in the back of your mind. Go to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden now you notice what this crafty being went after not who he went after what he went after it went after the authority of what God said and this is the key thing because this is what the crafty beast does Within relationships, the attack is going to be spiritual, it's going to be crafty, and it's going to go against the authority of God. And the question is exactly the same question. Did God actually say? Did God, did he, did God really say that? That's going to be the question that comes up over and over and over again. Generation after generation has passed. We are still as gullible as Adam and Eve back then when asked the same exact question. Did God actually say that? Did he really say that? But the beast is very crafty and appears all over the place. Things look a little bit different. There's a little bit nuanced differences here and there. Things are a bit more complicated after so many generations, but essentially it's the same question. Did God really say that? And you can plug in whatever question you want. We have an infinite number of them. 
And just from verses 18 and 19 in a marriage context this morning, you can plug in countless questions in there. Did God actually say, and then you plug in whatever question you want, that our society has, that you have, whatever it may be, and the world has a lot of things that they say about it. But what does God say? And so this is the context in which we need to frame the rest of Colossians 3 through chapter 4, verse 1, for the next several weeks when we look into relationships from a Christian context. And now, we know that these instructions are for Christians, and this is an important thing to keep in mind. How do we know this? Look at Colossians 1.4. It says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And then you jump down to verse 5. It reads, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. This is for Christians. Skip down to verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Lastly, chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Very clear instructions to the Colossians that this is for Christians. Why is this so important? This is why. Because if you go out today and just go down to the lake and start blurting out, submit to your husbands, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> I'm just doing it for your safety. Right? Like They're going to look at you like, you're crazy. They go, what are you talking about? Why? Because there isn't a context for them. There isn't this context that our marriages are spiritual battlegrounds. There isn't a context that we've been dealing with this crafty beast consistently berating us with the same question over and over again for all of humanity, asking and berating us with, did God actually say? And they're not going to get it. They don't have that context. It's all just crazy, antiquated talk to them, belief to them. Now, we as Christians, we're, we're different. And it's not to say that we're better. We're different in that we are holy. Which also doesn't mean that we are better. It just means what? We've talked about this before. That we're not common. Holy, the antonym of holy is common. And so, we're set apart for God's purposes. This also goes for our relationships. Christian wives and Christian husbands are different from other wives and husbands. Common wives and common husbands. We're different. We're a different spouse. We're a different child. We're a different parent. We're a different boss. We're a different employee. Now, the difference isn't something that you and I can will to happen in us. It takes the Spirit of God filling us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you and I, we can look at examples uh, of other people all that we want, but it doesn't mean that we're going to be successful in living the way that they live. What we need to live as Christ followers is Christ in us. We need the Word of Christ to dwell in us. 
Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And it's by this filling of the Spirit and having the word of Christ dwell in us richly that we can submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Back to Ephesians 5.21. And it's after all of that that we get to Ephesians 5.22, which is, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, which is the same verse in Colossians 3.18. It's after all of that that we then get to this. So we need to remember that the attack is spiritual. It's an attack against the soul. It goes back to Genesis where the crafty one is saying, did God actually say that? And the attack is against God's authority. Now I know some people want to personalize it and they, make it, they want to make it about them. And it is. There is a personal aspect of things. There is a part that it is you as an individual. But it's also bigger than you. It's also bigger than me. It's deeper than you and me. There is an us to this. There is a, a family aspect to this, a communion, community aspect to this. And we must remember that our battlefield is Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Don't forget this. When our relationships are not peaceful, we need to figure out what that spiritual pulse of our relationship is. Is it a healthy pulse? Or is it thready, irregular, weak? And so when we read verses like this in Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And whatever your reaction is to that verse, we need to question our approach. And we need to remember our context. Are we approaching this instruction as one from the world? Or are we approaching this from a deeper spiritual posture? One that remembers the context of Genesis 3. Recognizes the need for the Spirit of God. The power of the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. That this isn't just some simple surface level, skin deep, social thing, emotional thing, physical thing. As it is a much deeper spiritual soulful thing. A spiritual battle over God's authority. Where God is always questioned. Did God actually say... I think one of the issues with submission is that it's equated to inequality. And so I do need to go back and do some historical context so that we can be aware of the audience that Paul was writing to at the time because what he actually wrote in Colossians is very, very countercultural, revolutionary, and radical. So back to first century Jewish society. Women back then had no rights. You were property as a woman. You were at the beck and call of your husband. You had no legal rights. You had no rights to inheritance. You had no rights to go to a court of law. Your testimony was not accepted in the court of law. It was not looked upon as credible. Definitely not the same as for men. First century Greek society, not all that different. 
They lived society like this where Jewish men were monogamous. They believed in monogamy. Greek men, although they had one wife, their wife would be away in a living quarter and then they would just be expected to live a life of servitude, whatever they needed to do at the home serving, and then just to be sexually available for their husbands whenever their husbands wanted a child. Because all the other times a Greek husband was free to have sex with whomever they want and live as they please until they just kind of go back home and then, oh, okay, I need to have a child because it needs to help me in my business or on my farm or I need to pass on my assets to a male heir so we need to have a kid. But it was that sort of a relationship. So here's Paul and he's writing to these people. Now, there's also the Roman society that was there. And so we already know that in Greek first century society and Jewish first century society, there's no dignity for women. And so Romans were a little bit different. The Roman men and women did the same exact thing. So whatever recreational activities there were for men, the same existed for women. And so when Paul is writing about submission to a Roman society, this is very revolutionary to them. And so the culture Paul was writing to, whether it be Jewish, Greek, or Roman, it's a mixed audience here, but it wasn't a culture that was ready to receive what Paul wrote. And what he wrote was a revolutionary, radical idea. Because within a Jewish and a Greek context, he is elevating women, and to write to men of a Jewish, Greek, and Roman culture, and to write to them this, to love your wives and to not be harsh with them is revolutionary, is radical. Because who are you to tell me I can't say whatever I want to say and treat my wife the way I want to treat her? Who's, who are you to tell me that? I can do whatever I want. She's my property. So this is the context of who Paul is writing to. And what he's doing is he is writing to them to establish a Christ-centered relationship in the context of marriage, which didn't have a lot of dignity towards women. And so this was a radical shift to move it that way. And so the way Greek men and Roman men viewed sex was much like our society, that it's this pleasurable, recreational activity with, with consenting people, with as many partners as one can possibly want. And the scripture defines sex differently. The scriptures define good sex as a whole person bonding experience between a husband and a wife to express and confirm their marital intimacy. That's what sex is in a scriptural context. And that's a very radical thing to put down to a society that's just like ours today. Two consenting adults, it's recreational, pleasurable, let's do it. So for wives to submit to their husbands in the Jewish and Greek culture, it's not new. They were expecting this. But Paul adds this line in there. It says, as fitting in the Lord. And that is crazy. That was radical. Because what Paul is doing here is he is giving this non-existent dignity to women. He's giving women dignity. It didn't exist. And so he's saying they're no longer just your object. They are no longer just your property. 
And then to the Romans to write, submit to your husbands? You're crazy. This is radical, because why do that? Why, why would we do that? And so Paul is giving them reasons. And one of these reasons is because relationships are to be more about giving than receiving. And both men and women are image bearers of God. And we are to be fruitful together more than we are to be consumed with our selfish beliefs of happiness and selfish beliefs of fulfillment, that it's just all about me, that we are made for partnerships. We are made for great intimacy and, and depth. Now, we all have authority structures, whether we are citizens of a country or where we work or where we go to school, uh, where we are in our family. It's just how we practically function, that there's an order to things, otherwise we can't function. So as citizens, we all pay taxes. There's no way around it. It's how we function. And there are other structures within society, whether they are schools or employment or whatever it may be, in place, and it allows for things to work. And it's not a superiority or inferiority of things. It's, it's a function. It's of harmony. So husbands and wives, we are totally equal in essence. The difference is in function. God the Father and Jesus the Son are an example of this. Let me attempt to point this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So here's a question for you. Is God superior to his Son, Jesus Christ? No. Absolutely not. They are the same equal essence. The distinction is the function within the Godhead. They are totally equal, but their function is distinct. And it's similar in marriage. Does not mean the husband is smarter or more capable or superior in any way. It's a functional relationship. And in Jesus' submission to God the Father, Jesus submits what? What is the whole submission thing about? It's actually very compassionate and intimate. The submission is about submitting one's feelings and desires and trust. And he's submitting all of that to God the Father. Simultaneously, God is caring and understanding, protecting, helping, and has complete faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is kind of this submission thing. Where is the, I told you to do this part. Where is the inequality part? Where, that's not there. That's not their relationship. Now, along with this inequality, submission is also thought of in terms of like, you do what I say. You do what I tell you to do. Is that the relationship between Jesus and God the Father? The authority of God gives wisdom, and his authority lies in being the kind of person people want to follow. See, he, he gives direction from a servant heart. He's sending his only begotten son to die for us, right? A servant heart, a compassionate spirit. It's from a place of serving and modeling. It's not command giving, 
Here's, here's a key thing about God's leadership. God's leadership doesn't tell people what to do. He doesn't tell people what to do. God's leadership does what people will follow. He does it. And God is equipping, encouraging, empowering, serving much more than he is giving direction. We need to realize there's a greater purpose to live in God's design, to to live under his power. And Christian relationships need to work at home in order for them to work outside of the home. And Jesus models relationship with God the Father. He was in submission to God the Father. And because of that, you and I are reconciled to God for that. So how are our relationships Christ-like? How are our most important relationships? If our most important daily relationships aren't revolutionized by Christ and his word, how can we expect a revolutionary impact into anything else. See, we have this awesome opportunity to show the world a radical way of life through submission, like Christ. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, this is a very, very radical thing that Paul is writing to a society that does not have this in their culture. But we have to follow the Bible and not culture. Culture is not our standard today. Neither was it back then. So we don't compare ourselves to those in our culture. We live, love, care, listen, understand in light of Scripture. Not to conform to the world, but be transformed by God. Who who are we in private? Who are we at home? It says, "'Husbands, love your wives.'" Now, the imperative to love is given to husbands. The world has many, many definitions of love, but how are Christians to love? Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loves the church. It's real. Christ doesn't have false expectations of us. He, he loves us for who we are, as we are. He doesn't love us because of what he sees in us or what we do for him. He loves out of a gracious love for us. He loves us because he's love. And it's a continual love that is consistent. Husbands, we need to love our wives so we are supportive of who God created them to be. To be their biggest champion. To be their biggest cheerleader. To love them for their sake and it's not for our sake. That it's a sacrificial love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We sacrifice. So those selfish desires that we have, what are we doing with those? Ask yourself, you know, when's the last time you did something sacrificial for your wife? Or was your wife sacrificed for your recreation? your work, your television, your sports, your hobbies, your games, your buddies, your whatever. Sacrificial love sets aside your own plans, your own time, energy, money, opportunities, emotions, and you give that to your wife. So how have you prioritized your relationship with your wife over other relationships, over other things? Now you look at Ephesians 5, 
We read that Christ's love for the church was purposeful. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. See, the love for your wives is not to be occasional or disordered or just random. That love takes a lot of effort and time, work, thought, patience, perseverance, prayer, praying for God's will to be fulfilled in her life, for, for her dreams and passions to be fulfilled, to be all that God created her to be. How much do we pray for our wives' spiritual well-being that we change everything we have to? Because I think sometimes husbands may pray like, oh, God, change her, change her. But how much do we have to change? How much do we need to sacrifice? How much do we need to purposefully love in order for her to be presented in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish? How are we being supportive to free them up to flourish spiritually, to encourage opportunities for spiritual growth? You know, our society tends to overemphasize different types of love. We tend to emphasize sexual love. We tend to emphasize emotional love. But here's the problem with basing love on feelings and sex. It's not a foundation that's solid enough. Why is that? Because lust is a sledgehammer to that foundation. It will crack it and break it apart easily. Covetousness breaks that apart easily. It's a foundation that can't hold. And so with love, we need to choose to love. And it's not because we feel like it. You choose even when you don't feel like it. That you love unconditionally, without limit, without reserve. That you love absolutely. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A synonym for the word harsh is embitter. And this is what Proverbs says about this. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this is not just in a marriage context. This is driving. This is... Bumping into somebody in line, this is whatever it may be. It doesn't matter what, we know this to be so true. This is so true that we need to watch our attitude. We need to watch our tone. We need to be careful about those things. And sometimes we don't even know that we're being harsh. That we need to be tender and responsive. And this takes a lot of thoughtfulness. It's, it's beyond Provision, protection, because that's this is something that guys sometimes say, right? Like they come in, there's problems, and like, hey, you know, I provide. Uh, there's a roof over our head, and there's food, and I'm at home. I get back at six o'clock, and I'm there. But it's it's not about physical presence, and it's not about transactions. It's not about provision. There needs to be communion. There needs to be connection. A high value placed on the relationship. And this takes thought to go deeper. It takes understanding and consideration. There are things that kill marriages. And harshness is one of them that just blows understanding and consideration. It blows it out the door. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
It, it takes a lot of effort to understand. It takes a ton of effort. Are, are we communicating love and understanding? And you can't do this without an investment of time and without an investment of just simply paying attention that the television isn't distracting you, that your computer screen isn't distracting you, that what you're reading or whatever you're doing or your sports league or your rec leagues or whatever it is. When's the last time you had a conversation where love was communicated and that understanding was gained to express to your wife that you really care about her inner self, not just like the stuff that's so easy, like, have you eaten dinner yet? Or like, are, did, did you get the kids back home from school okay? Did they go to all their activities? Like, it's all this, like, outside stuff, but getting into, like, how she really feels about stuff and asking questions and listening to her answers and reflecting back to her so that she knows that you're listening and you can gain a better understanding. And it's really, really simple. It's not that hard. If you can just imagine, like, holding up a mirror and reflecting back what they're saying or what you're seeing, that you can just simply say, say what you see and say what you've heard. And that's really all it takes. That communication is, is key to gaining understanding. And some of us have a difficulty with this. There's, there's a fear of it or, or we don't know how to do it. But the better we communicate, the better our relationships. And it's not just with spouses. It's just with anybody, that our communication and our prayers will also be better with God. Um, I want to throw out just an invitation to anyone. Like, if you need to practice, I'm more than happy to practice with you. Like, I, if you need me to play somebody in your relationship, like, I'll do it. Whether it's, like, I'll play your wife. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. Or I can play your husband or whatever it is. I, I, I like role-playing. I'm I, I don't know where that came from. I'm not a good actor or anything. But I, I like role-playing. And um, I've never been into Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that. But I do like, I do like this. Like, I, I like this. If any of you have gone to counseling with me, you know, like, this is something that we do often. Like, okay, um, all right, you be your mom, I'll be you. And, so like, and then we'll just go through it, right? And we'll talk. It's an open invitation to all of you. I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. I love it. So this is something I want us to keep in mind as I share this news with you about our church. I want to give you an update. Um, and I saved it for this announcement at the very end uh, for this reason. We are in the process of negotiating to purchase um, this building, the building across the street, and the, the parking lot. And so the surface level skin deep thing is the property. We, we want your prayers to go with us into something of more depth. Is God calling us here to this community to do a mission, to fulfill a vision here? And us being here, will it do that? Right? We, we also haven't had the greatest relationship with uh, the people who own the property. And so to guard us against bitterness, to guard us against the feelings of unrighteousness and injustice, to pray for them because we don't know what they're going through. And so it's, it's something deeper in the relationship. 
we know that we have this crafty being here saying things to us, right? Did God actually say that? And planting all these things that can build up resentment in us or bitterness in us and all these different things in us. We, want, we realize that. We recognize that. And so how are we going to enter into this relationship in talking about this, which is just a skin-deep thing, but there's more to it. Right? We, we remember that this is, there's a spiritual battle going on. There's something more going on. It's not a real estate transaction. And so we want to pray for the depth. Next time, we're going to take a look at Christian relationships between children and parents. But again, of course, it pertains to everybody because all of you are a child of someone, right? So, and some of you, many of you are parents. And again, we'll, we'll be bringing up some more foundational things. But in the meantime, uh, next Sunday, Pastor Nate will be teaching because I need a week off after doing this stuff like this. Um, and so that means that if you have any questions or debates or anything, you address Pastor Nate on that since I'm not teaching next week. So just email him and have him deal with those things. All kidding aside, I am available, um, but I probably won't get back to you right away because my kids have this week off of school and I'm spending time with them. Um, I'll be right here in the front pew if anyone wants to talk or pray. I'd be honored to do that. Um, and as Matthew leads us in worship, I want to invite you to communion. That um, the cracker there symbolized by, or symbolizing Christ's body broken for us. The grape juice there symbolizing Christ's blood shed for us. And we take this because Christ's submission to God the Father allowed for this. Allowed for that reconciliation and communion to happen between us and God. That within that Godhead relationship, they were completely equal in essence. The function was different. Um, so we invite you to pray. Uh, Mary is in the left front pew here. Uh, Mike is in the center pew. I'll be in the right front pew, and we, we'd be honored to pray with you.